This is an exciting week for preaching. The readings are so rich with possibilities. At first glance, I became excited about the text in Exodus. The story about Shipra and Pua, I always wanted to preach that. That narrative that tells of Moses' sister, Moses' sister intervening to ensure he would be safe after traveling down the Nile River. I wanted to preach that story, but the spirit didn't stop there. Next, there was the text in Romans 12 where Paul is exhorting the church to present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Paul continues by adding that though there are many of us, we have different gifts. You know, it's hard to resist preaching from Romans. But the Spirit didn't stop there. Today, I am led by the Spirit to the Gospel. In the text, we find in Matthew's Gospel an important exchange between Peter and Jesus. Or better yet, Jesus and his disciples. The disciples don't appear to clearly express an opinion or knowledge of the identity of Jesus. Their responses prove that they are undecided and perhaps confused themselves. Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of those other prophets. Jesus asks Peter, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? That's our question for today, church. And if I had to tag this sermon, I would say, what say you? What say you? This interrogative marks the beginning of power that Jesus bestows upon Peter as the leader of the church. Jesus is saying the testimony of Peter will establish the church of Jesus Christ. Today it is this very question, the same acts of Peter that Jesus asks us. Today he's asking us, what about you? Who do you say that I am? After cursory glances at the other texts and all the possibilities therein, it was here that the Spirit arrested my attention. The question still rings out to us this morning, who do you say? I am. You see, Matthew did not present this Jesus as did the writer in John's gospel, which includes the ego I me sayings. That's not this same gospel writer here where John writes, I am the good shepherd. We see again John saying, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. While the Synoptic Gospels each have a version of this very confession at Caesarea Philippi, it is only in Matthew that we read about Peter discerning this revelation from God. In fact, only in our text today do we find Peter saying to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Mark and Luke, you see, only offer you are the Messiah. So you may ask this morning, preacher, what difference does this make? I'm glad you asked the question. 
Matthew's Jesus, you see, further extends his response to say something about Peter's lineage and affirm his new vocational identity. Jesus calls Peter into service for the church, a new service for a new church. There is something here that distinguishes a different move is about to happen. You see, this story doesn't simply end with Peter's confession of Jesus as a Messiah. Jesus says much more to us in Matthew by saying, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. However, Jesus didn't stop there. In this story, Jesus goes another step by adding, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There are some things, sisters and brothers, that we ought to bind on earth today. Church, we ought to unequivocally bind hatred, bigotry, racism, sexism, ageism, and any other form of discrimination we might think of. Yes, they ought to be bound on earth because if we're here helping to usher in God's kingdom as it is in heaven, it will be bound in heaven. And then the spirit doesn't stop there. We must loose on earth the things that will be loosed in heaven. Yes, that means, sisters and brothers, we must loose more love, more empathy, more consideration, more compassion and goodwill as only seen and understood through our deeds, not simply our words. See, we can say a lot of things, but the challenge here to the church is to live that out. Then people will know that we are truly Christ's disciples, he says, by our love. And then we have to be careful We have to be careful and understand that immediately following this passage, Jesus calls Peter a stumbling block and refers to him even as Satan. Because once again, you see, Peter did not remain focused on divine things that would prevent his mind from wandering onto human concerns. Peter was challenged to focus on divine things, but went along to think about the things of this world. Yes, that same Peter who when walking on water began to sink when he took his eyes off Jesus. That's our cue, sisters and brothers, that we have to remain focused on the things of Christ, the things of heaven. You see, what becomes special here in Matthew's gospel is the notion of a new movement. That's right, a new gathering, the church or the ecclesia which signifies a different institution from, the, from that, that time, the temple or the synagogue. And Jesus says the gates of Hades is not able to overpower the church founded upon Jesus Christ. It is followed by the same word used for, yes, rock, which means Peter. What makes the difference? The difference is a life marked by humility, a life marked by forgiveness and service. This is what makes the difference. In this story, which takes place at Caesarea Philippi, Peter is affirmed because his mind is on the things of God. We know this because Jesus tells him that flesh and blood did not reveal his identity as Messiah to Peter. No one told him that 
And in fact, his response to the question Jesus presented to him, Peter discerned from the Holy Spirit, was different from the responses that his fellow disciples gave. The Holy Spirit shared with Peter the nature, the character, and the witness of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. We, the people of God, must have the courage to answer this question on a daily basis. Who do you say Jesus is? Or better yet, what say you? It is not the question, but our response that defines our moral authority. In this question, we are guided to all truth and thus precipitates all action. What does that mean? Yes, we can say a whole lot of things, but if we don't live it, it doesn't mean anything. When staring at the residuals of evil and oppression, who do you say that I am? We ought to say you are love, justice, and truth. When considering the worth and dignity of other human beings that have been created in the image of God, whether documented citizens or not, who do you say that I am? We say that you are the one who taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves. When alerted to the senseless death of another individual and how that grief impacts a family's reality, who do you say that I am? We say that you are comforter and healer, the alpha and the omega. When weighing the legal obstacles presented in one nation's case for war against another, who do you say I am? We say that you are the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace. You see, if I went another tradition, I'd get an amen right there. But that's all right. When loving yourself is truly reflected in your love for neighbor, including our LGBTQI sisters and brothers, who do you say I am? We say you are God and thus you are love. For if truly we believe that God is love, as declared in 1 John, and that God so loved the world as proclaimed in the Gospel of John, then what are we called to do except that we emulate that very love? Yes, we are in the world, but not of this world. In each of these rich passages for today, we find reminders of this central theme. Sisters and brothers, we are reminded that our actions are determined by the sacrifice on the cross and not the deals made in the boardrooms, in Congress, and among the powerful and elite. We are reminded that our commitment is to Christ and not not confusing conversations in a controversial climate. As Fred Craddock, that great theologian and preacher, reminds us the same occasion that moves some to confess faith in him as God's messenger elicited from others mutterings about the untutored Nazarene. What say you? It is not the point that Peter is the rock in a literal sense, that Jesus is saying will begin the foundation of the church. But in the words of Professor Mincy Smith, she affirms the true characterization in the Messiahship of Jesus saying, on this rock thou shalt not build a prison nation. On this rock thou shalt not build a nation where millions of children are homeless and hungry. On this rock thou shalt not build 
churches that oppress the poor and women and turn a blind eye towards sexual violence within its gates and in the streets. No, on this rock, she says, let us build assemblies that demonstrate belief in a living, speaking, incarnating God, a God of freedom and not of oppression, a God of justice, a God of love and a God of peace. So it is that Peter, through the spirit, came to confess the true identity of the one that is the Messiah, the one for whom we gather this day. As we come to know his identity, the church can continue to stand on this very rock. The solid rock is Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, what say you? From South America to South Carolina, what say you? From Cairo to Compton, what say you? From Tanzania to Texas, what say you, people of God?